Part Five of Ministry of Disturbance by H. Beam Piper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part Five. Hondrasan rose and stood with his hands behind his back, looking fixedly at the wall behind the desk. Your Majesty, the students of Professor Ferres's advanced subnuclear physics class, postgraduate students, all of them were told of Professor Ferres's dismissal by a faculty member who had taken over the class this morning. They all got up and walked out in a body and gathered outdoors on the campus to discuss the matter. At the next class break they were joined by other science students, and they went into the stadium where they were joined, half an hour later, by more students who had learned of the dismissal in the meantime. At no time was the gathering disorderly. The stadium is covered by a viewscreen pickup which is fitted with a recording device. There is a complete audio-visual of the whole thing, including the attack on them by the campus police. The attack was ordered by Chancellor Kane at about 1100. The chief of the campus police was told to clear the stadium, and when he asked if he was to use force, Chancellor Kane told him to use anything he wanted to. I did not. I told him to get the students out of the stadium, but— The chief of campus police carries a personal wire recorder, Hendrickson said in his flat monotone. He has a recording of the order in Chancellor Kane's own voice. I heard it myself. The police, he continued, first tried to use gas, but the wind was against them. Then they tried to use sonostunners, but the students rushed them and overwhelmed them. If your majesty will permit a personal opinion, while I do not sympathize with their subsequent attack on the administration center, they were entirely within their rights in defending themselves in the stadium, and it's hard enough to stop trained and disciplined troops when they are winning. After defeating the police they simply went on by what might be called the momentum of victory. Then uh, you'd say that it's positively established that the students were behaving in a peaceable and orderly manner in the stadium when they were attacked, and that Chancellor Kane ordered the attack personally? I would emphatically, Your Majesty. I think we've done enough here, gentlemen. He turned to Count Thompson. This is jointly the affair of education and security. I would suggest that you and Prince Travan join in a formal and public inquiry, and until all the facts have been established and recorded, and action decided upon, the dismissal of Professor Forres will be reversed, and he be restored to his position on the faculty. Yes, Your Majesty, Thompson agreed, and I think it would be a good idea for Chancellor Kane to take a vacation till then, too. I would further suggest that, as this micro-posito experiment is crucial to the whole question, it should be repeated, under the personal direction of Professor Ferres. I agree with that, Your Majesty, Prince Travan said. If it's as important as I think it is, Professor Dandrick is greatly to be censured in ordering it stopped, and for failing to report this anticipation effect. We'll consult about the inquiry, including the experiment, tomorrow, Your Highness," Thompson told Trobon. Paul rose, and everybody rose with him. That being the case, you gentlemen are all excused. The students' procession ought to be arriving now, and I want to tell them what's going to be done. 
Prince Trevon, Count Tomson, do you care to accompany me? Going up to the central terrace in front of the octagon tower, he turned to Count Tomson. I noticed you laughing at that remark of mine about Aditya, he said. Have you met the first citizen? Only on screen, sir. He was at me for about an hour this morning. It seems that they are reforming the educational system on Aditya. On Aditya everything gets reformed every ten years, whether it needs it or not. He came here to find somebody to take charge of the reformation. He stopped short, bringing the others to a halt beside him, and laughed heartily. Well, we'll send First Citizen Yago away happy. We'll make him a present of the most distinguished educator on Odin. Kane? Tom San asked. Kane! Isn't it wonderful? If you have a few problems, you have trouble. But if you have a whole lot of problems, they start solving each other. We get a chance to get rid of Cain and create a vacancy that can be filled by somebody big enough to fill it. The Ministry of Education gets out from under a nasty situation. First Citizen Yago gets what he thinks he wants. And if I know Cain, and if I know the People's Commonwealth of Aditya, it won't be a year before Yago has Cain shot or stuffs him into jail, and then the Space Navy will have an excuse to visit Aditya, and Aditya'll never be the same afterward," Prince Trevon added. The students massed on the front lawns were still cheering as they went down after addressing them. The security guards were conspicuously absent and it was a detail of red-kilted Thoron riflemen who met them as they entered the hall to the session chamber. Prince Ganze approached, attended by two household guard officers, a human and a Thoran. Count Tomson looked from one to the other of his companions, bewildered. The bewildering thing was that everything was as it should be. "'Well, gentlemen,' Paul said, I'm sure that both of you will want to confer for a moment with your colleagues in the rotunda before the session. Please don't feel obligated to attend me further." Prince Ganze approached as they went down the hall. "'Your Majesty, what is going on here?' he demanded querulously. "'Just who is in control of the palace? You are Prince Travon. And where is His Imperial Highness? And where is General Dorflay?' I sent Dorflay to join Prince Roderick's picnic party. If you're upset about this, imagine what he might have done here." Prince Gonze looked at him curiously for a moment. "'I thought I understood what was happening,' he said. "'Now I—this uh, business about the students, sir, how did it come out?' Paul told him. They talked for a while, and then the Prime Minister looked at his watch and suggested that the session ought to be getting started. Paul nodded, and they went down the hall into the rotunda. The big, semicircular lobby was empty now, except for a platoon of household guards and the Empress Morris and her ladies-in-waiting. She advanced as quickly as her sheath gown would permit and took his arm. The ladies-in-waiting fell in behind her, and Prince Ganze went ahead, crying, "'My lords, your venerable highnesses, gentlemen, His Imperial Majesty!' 
Maris tightened her grip on his arm as they started forward. "'Paul!' she hissed into his ear. "'What is this silly story about Yorn Dravon trying to seize the throne?' "'Isn't it? Yorn's been too close to the throne for too long not to know what sort of a seat it is. He'd commit any crime up to and including genocide to keep off it.' She gave a quick gip to get into step with him. Then why is he filled the palace with these black coats? Is Rod all right? Perfectly all right. He's somewhere out in the mountains, keeping Harv Dorfley out of mischief. They crossed the session hall and took their seats on the double throne. Everybody sat down, and the Prime Minister, after some formalities, declared the plenary session in being. Almost at once one of the Prince Counselors was on his feet begging His Majesty's leave to interrogate the government. "'I wish to ask His Highness, the Minister of Security, the meaning of all this unprecedented disturbance, both here in the palace and in the city,' he said. Prince Stravan rose at once. "'Your Majesty?' In reply to the question of His Venerable Highness, he began, and then launched himself into an account of the student riot the march to petition the Emperor, and the clash with the non-working-class hooligans. As to the affair at the university, I hesitate to speak on what is really the concern of His Lordship the Minister of Education. But as to the fighting in the city, if it is still going on, I can assure His Venerable Highness that the gendarmes and security guards have it well in hand. The persons responsible are being rounded up, and, if the Minister of Justice concurs, an inquiry will be started to-morrow." The Minister of Justice assured the Minister of Security that his ministry would be quite ready to cooperate in the inquiry. Count Thomson then got up and began talking about the riot at the university. "'What did happen, Paul?' Maris whispered. Chancellor Kane sacked a science professor for being too interested in science. The students didn't like it. I think Kane's successor will rectify that. Have a good time at the flower festivals? She raised her fan to hide a grimace. Oh, I made my schedule, she said. Oh, tomorrow I have fifty more booked. Your Imperial Majesty! The counselor who had risen paused to make sure that he had the imperial attention before continuing. Insomuch as this question also seems to involve a scientific experiment, I would suggest that the Ministry of Science and Technology is also interested, and since there is at present no minister holding that portfolio, I would suggest that the discussion be continued after a minister has been elected. The Minister of Health and Sanity jumped to his feet. "'Your Imperial Majesty, permit me to concur with the proposal of His Venerable Highness, and to extend it with the sub-proposal that the Ministry of Science and Technology be abolished, and its functions and personnel divided among the other ministries, specifically those of education and of economics.' The Minister of Fine Arts was up before he was fully seated. "'Your Imperial Majesty, 
permit me to concur with the proposal of Count Gilfred, and to extend it further with the proposal that the Ministry of Defense, now also vacant, be likewise abolished, and its functions and personnel added to the Ministry of Security under His Highness Prince Trevon. So that was it. Maris beside him said, Well! He had long ago discovered that she could pack more meaning into that monosyllable than the average counselor could into a half-hour's speech. Prince Gonze was thunderstruck, and from the bench of counselors six or eight voices were babbling loudly at once. Four ministers were on their feet clamoring for recognition. Count Douglas of Economics was yelling the loudest, so he got it. "'Your Imperial Majesty, it would have been most unseemly in me to have spoken in favor of the proposal of Count Gilfred, being an interested party, but I feel no such hesitation in concurring with the proposal of Baron Garat, the Minister of Fine Arts. Indeed, I consider it a most excellent proposal.' "'And I consider it the most diabolically dangerous proposal to be made in this hall in the last six centuries,' old Admiral Gocklar shouted. "'This is a proposal to concentrate all the armed force of the Empire in the hands of one man. Who can say what unscrupulous use might be made of such power?' "'Are you intimating, Prince Counselor?' that Prince Travon is contemplating some tyrannical or subversive use of such power? Count Thomson of all people demanded. There was a concerted gasp at that. About half the plenary session were absolutely sure that he was. Admiral Gecklar backed quickly away from the question. Prince Travon will not be the last Minister of Security, he said. What I was about to say, Your Majesty, is that as matters stand, security has a virtual monopoly on armed power on this planet. When these disorders in the city, which Prince Travon's men are now bringing under control, broke out, there was, I am informed, an order sent out to bring regular army and planetary militia into Asgard. It will be hours before any of the former can arrive and at least a day before the latter can even be mobilized. By the time any of them get here, there will be nothing for them to do. Is that not correct, Prince Gonze? The Prime Minister looked at him angrily, stung by the realization that somebody else had a personal intelligence service as good as his own, then swallowed his anger and assented. Furthermore, Count Douglas continued, the Ministry of Defense itself is an anachronism, which no doubt accounts for the condition in which we now find it. The Empire has no external enemies whatever. All our defense problems are problems of internal security. Let us therefore turn the facilities over to the Ministry responsible for the tasks. The debate went on and on. He paid less and less attention to it and it became increasingly obvious that opposition to the proposition was dwindling. Cries of, Vote! Vote! began to be heard from his supporters. Prince Gonze rose from his desk and came to the throne. Your Imperial Majesty, 
he said softly. I am opposed to this proposition, but I am convinced that enough favor it to pass it, even over your majesty's veto. Before the vote is called, does your majesty wish my resignation? He rose and stepped down beside the prime minister, putting an arm over Prince Gansay's shoulder. Far from it, old friend, he said in a distinctly audible voice. I will have too much need for you, but as for this proposal, I don't oppose it. I think it an excellent one. It has my approval. He lowered his voice. As soon as it's passed, place General Dorfle's name in nomination. The Prime Minister looked at him sadly for a moment, then nodded, returning to his desk, where he rapped for order and called for the vote. "'Well, if you can't lick em, join em, Maris said as he sat down beside her. "'And if they start chasing you, just yell, "'There he goes! Follow me!' The proposal carried almost unanimously. Prince Ganze then presented the name of Captain General Dorfle for elevation to the bench of councillors, and the Emperor decreed it. As soon as the session was adjourned, and he could do so, he slipped out the little door behind the throne into an elevator. In the room at the top of the octagon tower, he laid aside his belt and dress dagger and unfastened his tunic, then sat down in his deep chair and called a serving robot. It was the one which had brought him his breakfast, and he greeted it as a friend. It lit a cigarette for him and poured a drink of brandy. For a long time he sat, smoking and sipping and looking out the wide window to the west, where the orange sun was firing the clouds behind the mountains. And he realized that he was abominably tired. Well, no wonder. More empire history had been made today than in the years since he had come to the throne. Then something behind him clicked. He turned his head to see Yorn Trevon emerging from the concealed elevator. He grinned and lifted his drink in greeting. I thought you'd be a little late, he said. Everybody trying to climb onto the bandwagon? Yorn Trevon came forward, unbuckling his belt and laying it with Paul's. He sank into the chair opposite, and the robot poured him a drink. "'Well, do you blame them? What would it have looked like to you in their place?' "'A coup d'etat. For that matter, wasn't that what it was? Why didn't you tell me you were springing it?' "'I didn't spring it. It was sprung on me. I didn't know a thing about it till Max Douglas buttonholed me down by the landing stage.' I'd intended fighting this proposal to partition science and technology, but this riot blew up and scared Douglas and Thompson and Guilford and the rest of them. They weren't too sure of their majority, that's why they had the election postponed a couple of times. But they were sure that the riot would turn some of the undecided councillors against them. So they offered to back me to take over defense in exchange for my supporting their proposal. It looked too good to pass up even at the price of wrecking science and technology? It was wrecked, or left to rust into uselessness long ago. The main function of technology has been to suppress anything that might threaten the state of economic rigor mortis that Douglas calls stability, and the function of science has been to let muttonheads like Kane and Dandrick dominate the teaching of science. 
Well, defense has its own scientific and technical sectors, and when we come to carving the bird, Doculus and Thomson are going to see a lot of slices going into my plate. And when it's all cut up, it will be discovered that there is no provision for original research. So it will please my majesty to institute an imperial office of scientific research, independent of any ministry, and guess who'll be named to head it? Veras. And by the way, we're all set on Cain, too. First Citizen Yago is as delighted to have him as we are to get rid of him. Why don't you get Von Everett back and give him the job? Good, if he takes charge there at the opening of the next academic year. In ten years we'll have a thousand young men, maybe ten times that many, who won't be afraid of new things and new ideas. But the main thing is that now you have defense, and now the plan can really start firing all jets. Yes. Yarn Travon got out his cigarettes and lit one. Paul glanced at the robot, hoping that its feelings hadn't been hurt. All these native uprisings I've been blowing up out of intertribal knife fights, and all these civil wars my people have been manufacturing. There'll be more of them, and I'll start yelling my head off for an adequate space navy. And after we get it, these local troubles will all stop. And then what'll we be expected to do? Scrap the ships? They both knew what would be done with some of them. It would have to be done stealthily while nobody was looking, but some of those ships would go far beyond the boundaries of the Empire, and new things would happen, new worlds, new problems, great and frightening changes. Paul, we agreed upon this long ago when we were still boys at the university. The Empire stopped growing, and when things stop growing they start dying the death of petrifaction. And when petrifaction is complete, the cracking and the crumbling starts, and there's no way of stopping it. But if we can get people out onto new planets, the Empire won't die, it'll start growing again. You didn't start that thing at the university this morning yourself, did you? Not the student riot, no. But the hooligan attack, yes. That was some of my own men. The real hooligans began looting after Hondrasan had gotten the students out of the district. We collared all of them, including their boss, Nutchie the Knife, right away, and as soon as we did that, Big Moogie and Zico the Nose tried to move in. We're cleaning them up now. By tomorrow morning there won't be one of these non-working voting blocks left in Asgard. And by the end of the week they'll be cleaned up all over Odin. I have discovered a plot, and they're all involved in it. Wait a moment, Paul got to his feet. That reminds me. Harv Dorfle's hiding Rod and Olva out in the mountains. I wanted him out of here while things were happening. I'll have to call him and tell him it's safe to come in now. Well, zip up your tunic and put your dagger on. You looked as though you'd been arrested, disarmed, and searched. That's right. He hastily repaired his appearance and went to the screen across the room, punching out the combination of the screen with Roderick's picnic party. A young lieutenant of the household troops appeared in it and had to be reassured. He got General Dorfley. "'Your Majesty, are you all right?' "'Perfectly all right, General, and it's quite safe to bring His Imperial Highness in. 
the conspiracy against the throne has been crushed. Oh, thank the gods! Is Prince Trovan a prisoner? Quite the contrary, General. It was our loyal and devoted subject, Prince Trovan, who crushed the conspiracy. But, 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 Your Majesty, you aren't to be blamed for suspecting him, General. His agents were working in the very innermost councils of the conspirators. Every one of the people whom you suspected, with excellent reason, was actually working to defeat the plot. Think back, General. The scheme to put the gun in the viewscreen, the scheme to sabotage the elevator, the scheme to introduce assassins into the orchestra with guns built into their trumpets. Every one came to your notice because of what seemed to be some indiscretion of the plotters, didn't it? Why, why, yes, Your Majesty. By this time tomorrow he would have a complete set of memories for each one of them. You mean the indiscretions were deliberate? Your vigilance and loyalty made it necessary for them to resort to these fantastic expedients, and your vigilance defeated them as fast as they came to your notice. Well, today Prince Trevon and I struck back. I may tell you, in confidence, that every one of the conspirators is dead, killed in this afternoon's rioting, which was incited for that purpose by Prince Trevon. Then, then there will be no more plots against your life? There was a note of regret in the old man's voice. No more, your venerable highness. But what did your majesty call me? he asked incredulously. I took the honor of being the first to address you by your new title, Prince Counselor Dorfley. He left the old man, overcome and blubbering happily on the shoulder of the crown prince, who winked at his father out of the screen. Prince Trevon had gotten a couple of fresh drinks from the robot and handed one to him when he returned to his chair. He'll be finding the bench of counselors riddled with treason inside a week, Trevon said. You handle that just right, though. Another case of making problems solve each other. You were telling me about a plot you'd discovered? Oh, yes. This is one to top Dorfle's best efforts. All the voting block bosses on Odin are in conspiracy to start a civil war to give them a chance to loot the planet. There isn't a word of truth in it, of course, but it'll do to arrest and hold them for a few days, and by that time some of my undercovers will be in control of every non-worker vote on the planet. After all, the cartels put an end to competition in every other business. Why not a voting cartel, too? Then, whenever there's an election, we just advertise for bids. Why, that would mean absolute control of the non-working vote, yes. And I'll guarantee personally that in five years the politics of Odin will have become so unbearably corrupt and abusive that the intellectuals, the technicians, the business people, even the nobility, will be flocking to the polls to vote. And if only half of them turn out, they'll snow the non-workers under. And that'll mean eventually an end to vote-selling, and the non-workers will have to find work. We'll find it for them. <laughs> Great and frightening changes, Yorn Trevon laughed. He recognized the phrase. Probably thought it himself. Paul lifted his glass. 
to the Minister of Disturbance. Your Majesty. They drank to each other, and then Yorn Trevon said, We had a lot of wild dreams when we were boys. It looks as though we're starting to make some of them come true. You know, when we were in the university, the students would never have done what they did today. They didn't even do it ten years ago, when von Everot was dismissed. And von Everot's pupil came back to Odin and touched this whole thing off. He thought for a moment. I wonder what Fares has in that anticipation effect. I think I can see what can come out of it. If he can propagate a wave that behaves like those micropositos, we may not have to depend on ships for communication. We may be able, some day, to screen Baldur and Vishnu or Altan or Thor as easily as you screen Dorflay up in the mountains. He thought silently for a moment. I don't know whether that would be good or bad. But it would be new, and that's what matters. That's the only thing that matters. Flower festivals, Paul said, and when Yorn Travon wanted to know what he meant, he told him. When Princess Olva's Empress, she's going to curse the name of Clin Fares. Flower festivals all around the galaxy without end. End of Part 5 End of Ministry of Disturbance by H. Beam Piper This book read by Phil Chenevere, October 2020